Please turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 2, Hebrews 2, and we'll read verses 14 to 18 this morning, but our focus will be verses 16 to 18. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking for you to, Lord, confirm us more fully, Lord, in the grace and mercy that is ours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Lord, that we might have a, a greater grasp, Lord, a fuller understanding of his person and of his work. And Lord, why it was necessary for him to be made like us in all things. And Lord, how when we see him even now, seated at your right hand, and we see our humanity, Lord, connected to his, Lord, that it should give to us great confidence and great assurance that you will be merciful to us and that you will be faithful to us. So Lord, may we understand these things so that we might be comforted, Lord, so that we might have hope, that we might endure in this present age, Lord, to be faithful to you, and Lord, trust that just as you delivered Jesus from every evil thing, so you also will deliver us from all evil and safely bring us into your heavenly kingdom. So Lord, confirm to us this great salvation today, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we began this passage last week where the apostle is really stressing here the importance of Jesus taking on human flesh, right? It is essential that we believe and understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we do not understand the person of Christ, then we will not benefit from the work of Christ. These go hand in hand together. And we must believe that Jesus took on human flesh, that he was made like us in every way except without sin. This is an essential an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. It says in 1 John chapter 4, 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. Already in the early church, in the first century, there were those people those heretics that had risen up and were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh, that he had a real human nature, that he had a real body like ours. And the apostle says that if the person denies that Jesus has come in the flesh, that person is not speaking by the Spirit of God, but rather he is filled with the Spirit of Antichrist. 
the Son of God had to take on human flesh in order to accomplish the great work given to him by God the Father. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. And not just to destroy him in general, but as the devil exercised tyranny over the world through sin and death. He exercised a tyranny over the people that had been given to Christ by God the Father. God gave to Jesus son or children or brethren, his church, his flock, a body of people that had been given to the Son by the Father from before the foundation of the world. And this body of people were under the power of the devil due to the entrance of sin and death into the world by his temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Evil of Eden. And Jesus was sent to redeem this body of sinful men, to liberate them from the power of the devil. And the only way that this could be accomplished was through his death, through the death of Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for sin. And this is why he had to take on human flesh, so that he might offer his sinless life as a sacrifice for us. Since the children share in flesh and blood, then he also had to partake of flesh and blood so that he might offer his body, his flesh and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. And it is through the offering up of his sinless life that he renders powerless the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through death, he takes away the power of death. He takes away the devil's power exercised over the children given to him by the father. The devil no longer holds his children under the power of death because Jesus has died on the cross for their sins and has been raised for their justification. And the result is that his children are set free. They are liberated from the domain of darkness and are transferred to the kingdom of his son so that they no longer live in fear of death. They're no longer enslaved to sin and death and Satan like the rest of mankind. And all of this comes about because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the only way that it was possible was through Christ. And it necessitated his taking on human flesh. Because he had to live a perfect life, he had to live a sinless life, he had to die on the cross for our sins, and he had to be raised from the dead for our justification. How can Jesus live a perfect life for us? How can he die on the cross for us? How can he be raised from the dead for us? How can he ascend to the right hand of God the Father for us if he does not have a nature like ours? If he does not have a body, a human body, like we do? If he's not made like us in every way, then how can he bring about our salvation? That's what the apostle is arguing for in these verses, in verses 14 to 18. We did verses 14 and 15 last week. Today we'll pick up in verse 16. He continues his argument of the necessity of Jesus having flesh and blood. Hebrews 2 verse 16 says, For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Here, the apostle is again stressing, by way of comparison, the necessity of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Why he partook of flesh and blood. Why he had a human nature. We remember in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14, it says, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. 
Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. The children share in flesh and blood. These are the ones given to him by the Father. They are men. They are mankind. They are human beings. These are the ones who have been given to him by God, and these are the ones that Jesus has come to redeem. These children are not angels. They're not angelic beings, but they are human beings. They are people made of flesh and blood. It is fallen, sinful men that Jesus has come to redeem. Had the object of redemption been the fallen angels, then Jesus would have taken on the nature of an angel. Right? If he was going to redeem fallen angels, then he would have to assume the nature of an angel and die on the cross for their sins, offer himself as a sacrifice for them. But God the Father did not send the Son to redeem angels. He does not give any help or any assistance to the fallen angels. Satan and his demons, they were created by God. They were, according to Genesis 1 and 2, declared to be very good by God because everything that God created was very good. And we know that they were created by God. But then they fell into sin. They rebelled against God, not being content with the position that God had given to them. And they sought to usurp the very throne of God. They sinned against God, and now they are under condemnation without any prospect or any hope of deliverance. And this is because Jesus did not come to help them. God did not send him to help them, but rather they will all be condemned in their fallen state. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20 verse 10. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is what will happen to the devil. He will eventually be cast into the lake of fire, and he will be tormented day and night for all eternity, forever and ever. And from his fall until his condemnation, there is no prospect for him to repent. There's no way for him to be redeemed or to be saved because God did not send a sacrifice to die for him. God gave no assistance or no help to the fallen angels. Also, Jude. Jude, verse 6. Jude chapter 1 and verse 6 speaks of the fallen angels and what awaits them. Jude 1, 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Here again, he's speaking of fallen angels. What was their sin? They did not keep their own domain. They abandoned their proper abode. And what does God have in store for them? They are kept now under eternal bonds in darkness, awaiting the day of judgment that will come upon them. And there's no help for them. No assistance for these angels. Also, Matthew chapter 8, verse 29 even the fallen angels, the demons, they know this to be the case, and they know that there is a day of torment that awaits them 
in the day of judgment, in the future. Matthew 8, 29 says, And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? This is the demons speaking through the demoniac. And they're asking him, Have you come to torment us before the time? They know that there's a day of torment coming, but that day is not here yet. Are you tormenting us before that day? So Satan and the demons were created by God. They fell into sin. They are now evil spirits that promote sin, misery, chaos, confusion, death. They are awaiting a day of judgment where they will be condemned and tormented day and night in the lake of fire. And though they are moral beings, though they are rational beings, though they are eternal beings, they have no opportunity to repent and to be saved because God has not provided a way of salvation for the demons. He did not provide any help for them. No redeemer was sent on their behalf. Jesus did not die on the cross for demons, for he did not take on a nature like theirs. He provides no help to fallen angels. But who does he help? According to verse 16, it says, But he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Who did Jesus come to redeem? Who did he offer his life as a sacrifice for? Well, not angels, but for the descendant of Abraham. And the descendants of Abraham are men, mankind, flesh and blood. And here, when he says help, he does not mean just a little bit of assistance. He does not mean that men are mostly good and they just need a little nudge from Jesus to make it over the finish line. Help means salvation. It means deliverance. It means redemption. Help means that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that we have been made alive together with Christ. Help means that Jesus does 100% of the work without any assistance from us. He saves us. Titus 1.15 says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost of all. Also in Titus, in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7 says, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our time in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior in his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the help that he gives. This is the salvation that he gives, and it is for the descendant of Abraham. Which then means we must ask, who are the descendants of Abraham? Does he mean this in terms of physical Jews, only the physical offspring 
of Abraham. Did Jesus come only to help the physical descendants of Abraham? And of course, that is not the case. Because he does not mean Abraham's physical descendants, but he must mean Abraham's spiritual descendants, who are comprised of both believing Jews and believing Gentiles. Galatians chapter 3. We read some of these passages this morning. Galatians 3, verses 6 to 9, makes it very clear who is a child or a son or a descendant of Abraham. Galatians 3, 6 says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. There, it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. They are the true descendants of Abraham. And those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. Abraham was not blessed by God because he was the first Jew, because he was the first Israelite. Abraham was blessed by God because he was the believer. It was through faith that he was justified from his sin. And this was a gift given to him by God. Also, Galatians 3.23. Galatians 3.23 says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which would later be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, he says, you are Abraham's descendants. You are an heir according to the promise. You benefit from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it says in Romans chapter 2 that no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. It's not something outward. It's not something physical. It is something that is spiritual. The descendants of Abraham that he's speaking of here, they are the elect. These are the children given to Christ by the Father. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith whether they be a physical Jew or whether they be a physical Gentile. They are blessed by the forgiveness of sins. Just as Abraham had his sins forgiven on the basis of the person and work of Christ, who was the object of his faith, so all men, whether Jew or Gentile, who have this same faith, who have as the object of their faith Jesus Christ and Him crucified, they will all receive the same blessing of Abraham, which is nothing other than salvation. 
And Jesus only helps these descendants of Abraham. And again, according to Galatians 3, the sons of Abraham are those who are of faith or those who belong to Jesus Christ. Which means his help or assistance is for a limited group of people. It is a limited group of men. It excludes the angels, but it also excludes many men as well. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2 says this. He's asking for prayer, and he says that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Not all men have faith. But to be a descendant of Abraham, what do you have to have? He says you have to have faith. It is necessary to be a man of faith. But according to 2 Thessalonians 3, 2, not all men have faith. Therefore, not all men are descendants of Abraham. And therefore, Jesus does not provide help for all men, but only for some men. Only for a specific group of men. Only for those who are here called the descendants of Abraham and who are also in other places called the elect of God. The children given to Jesus by the Father. The many sons that he will bring to glory. Now I point this out because this is a doctrine that very few people believe. Most believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of every single person who has ever lived on the face of the earth. Even some people go so far as to say that the death of Jesus will ultimately save all men, and there are even others who say that his death will ultimately save all men and all of the fallen angels, and even the devil himself will be saved by the death of Christ. Yet this one verse teaches that the work of Christ is limited to a specific group of men, it teaches a doctrine called limited atonement or definite atonement, and it does so in two ways. First, the work of Christ is obviously limited to men, and it does not include fallen angels. So even if someone wants to say that Jesus died for all men, you cannot say, according to this verse, that Jesus died for fallen angels because he precludes them. So you at least have to say it's limited to men, Though fallen angels are moral, rational, spiritual beings, though they will exist for all eternity, the atonement was not provided for them. It does not benefit them, for Jesus did not come to give help to fallen angels. But then secondly, the work of Christ among fallen men is limited only to the descendants of Abraham. Had the work of Christ been for all men, then he would have said the descendants of Adam. Because that title would apply to all mankind, from Adam to the end of the world. But the work of Christ is not for all of Adam's descendants, but only for all of Abraham's descendants, who are the elect of God, who God calls to himself and produces faith and repentance in them by his Holy Spirit. So either way you slice it, you have to hold to some version of limited atonement. You might as well hold to it the right way, the biblical way, which is that it is not for angels, and it's not even for all men, 
but it is for some men. Those children given to Christ by the Father before the creation of the world, they are the ones that Jesus dies for, and they are the ones that will benefit from his death, and it will actually produce salvation in them. Right? Not potential salvation, not a possible salvation, but he actually comes, dies on the cross, and every single person he died on the cross for, all of them ultimately will be saved and will be taken to glory with Christ. And he won't lose one of them. Amen. Not one drop of his blood is shed in vain, but it produces exactly what God intended. Verse 17, Hebrews 2, 17. Since he gives help to the descendants of Abraham... He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Since he only gives help to Abraham's descendants, then he had to be made like Abraham's descendants, who are his brethren in all things. If Jesus is going to help them, if he's going to redeem them, if he's going to deliver them from the power of the devil and set them free from the fear of death, then it was necessary for him to be made like them in all things. He had to take on the exact same nature as his brethren in order to help them and in order to deliver them from their sins. Galatians chapter 4. Of course, the only exception being without sin. He did not have a sin nature as we do, but he did have a human nature as we do. Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right, again, the key here for all of this to happen, for us to be heirs, for us to no longer be slaves but sons, is that God had to send forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. He had to come into our place. He had to come, take a nature like ours, and be born in the situation in which we are found, except without sin. Even though he was the creator and ruler of all things. Even though he was uh, existed for all eternity, even though he was the son of God, he had to become like us in all things. The life we experience, which is filled with afflictions, hardships, sufferings, trials, temptations, Jesus experienced the exact same life. This is what he endured through his life. He became hungry and tired daily because we become hungry and tired daily. Just as we experience sorrow and hardship, just as we mourn during times of difficulty, so he experienced hardships and sorrows. He was well acquainted with grief. Just as we are tempted every day, so he was tempted every day. And why was this necessary? Because he says in Hebrews 2.17, 
He had to be made like us in all things. He had to be like us in all things for what purpose? So that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. We need a great high priest over the household of God. We need someone to stand as a mediator between God and us. We need someone to offer sacrifice for our sins. And is Aaron qualified to do this? Is Aaron or any of his sons or any other Old Testament priest, will they suffice to fill this role as a mediator between God and man? It's impossible. We need someone greater than Aaron, greater than his sons. We need a high priest who is a man, but who is more than a man. One who is also the son of God, who is clothed with power. And who is the only person who qualifies for this role? Who is the only one who is fit to fulfill this role as a great high priest over the household of God? Only Jesus Christ. He is the only person qualified for this who can be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Aaron and his sons, they could sympathize with the people because they were like them. They dealt gently with the ignorant and misguided because Aaron and his son were also ignorant and misguided men in many things. It says so in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. Aaron and his sons could not be the source of mercy for the people because they had their own sins. They had their own sins that were in need of mercy. Aaron could not be the source of mercy because Aaron himself was in desperate need of the mercy of God. He had his own sins which needed to be atoned for, which needed the grace of God, which needed a sacrifice to deal with his own sins. How could a high priest who is himself imperfect ever make the people perfect through his ministry? He can't do it. He cannot be a merciful high priest over the household of God who himself is in need of mercy from God for his own sins. So Aaron and his sons cannot be the merciful high priest that we need. What about faithful? What about a faithful high priest? Were Aaron and his sons perfectly faithful to God as high priest in the things pertaining to God? Well, certainly... In some ways, Aaron was faithful. And certainly, in some ways, he manifested that he was a true believer. He was saved by God. And he was a benefit to the people for many years. He did live a righteous life. But was he perfectly faithful? Was he a perfectly sinless man? And did he execute his office as high priest in a perfectly faithful way? Well, let's see. Exodus 32. Exodus 32 Verses 1 to 10. It 
Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt." The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then also in verse 21, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you, that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, this man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. So when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. There... Though Aaron was not the instigator of this sacrilege, of this sin, he was complicit in the sins of the people. He did not restrain them. He let them get out of control to the derision of their enemies. And this is why Aaron and his sons had to offer sacrifices first for their own sins before they could offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. It says such in Leviticus chapter 16 when it's describing the way the sacrifices are to be performed before they can offer sacrifices for the people, they have to first offer it for themselves. Leviticus 16 verse 6. Leviticus 16 verse 6 says, Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering which is for himself so that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. Aaron is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. As for the people, so also for himself. This because he too is a sinner. He is not a perfectly faithful high priest before God, but he has weakness, he has infirmities, he has temptations, and he has his own daily sins. And this is why we need a greater high priest than Aaron or any of his descendants. We need a great high priest over the household of God. One who can be both merciful and one who can be faithful. And who is the only one that fits the bill? 
Only Jesus Christ can serve as this high priest. He is merciful because he was made like us in all things. He understands temptation. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what it is to suffer. Everything we have experienced in this life, in terms of hardships, sufferings, weakness, temptation, Jesus experienced all of these things, and he even experienced them in a greater capacity than any of us. None of us will ever suffer to the extent that Jesus Christ suffered. None of us will ever endure the level of hardships that he endured. None of us will ever be tempted the way that he was tempted. This is because of 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. God knows what you can handle. He knows what I can handle. And he will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. No one has ever borne the full weight of temptation because God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can endure. God lightens our temptations so that we can endure it. But what about Jesus? He was able to endure the full weight of temptation. He was tempted in ways beyond what any of us can ever experience. And even though he was tempted with such gravity, he never sinned against God, not one single time. So say you put temptation on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the most severe. Perhaps we can handle a 3 or a 4. Or maybe someone who's mature maybe can handle a level 5 temptation. But God won't let them be tempted beyond what they can endure. But none of us will ever go to the max. None of us can ever endure all the way to a level 10. But who can endure a level 10? Jesus. And he did this in his life. And he never sinned against God. So who understands temptation more than Jesus? No one does. And who understands victory over sin more than Jesus? Because he endured it all, and he never sinned one time. So if we need help, if we need wisdom, if we need mercy in our time of testing, who's the best person to go to? Our merciful high priest. In the midst of the fiery trial, he's able to sympathize with us. Does he understand what we're experiencing? Will he deal with us in harshness, in severity? Or will he deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. He is gentle with us. He is lowly in spirit. He sympathizes with us. He comes to our aid and gives us mercy in our time of need. He binds up the brokenhearted. The smoking flax he will not quench, right? The bruised reed. He will not break the bruised reed. He knows exactly how to help us in what we need because he's already endured it all, and he endured it without sin. So he is a merciful high priest. He gives us mercy, not judgment. And he is faithful. He never sinned. Not one time. Though he was tempted, he never sinned one time. And will never lead his people to sin against God. He will never do as Aaron did when Aaron made the golden calf. 
He will never do as Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu did, when they offered strange fire before the Lord. He is faithful in things pertaining to God. Perfectly, sinlessly faithful. Leading the people of God to worship God in the proper way. Never mishandling the things of God. Never irreverent or cavalier in his approach to the worship of God, but always faithful. He is the perfect high priest who can bring us to God, who can take our sins away, who can intercede on our behalf, who can help us in our time of need. Only Jesus Christ can do all of these things. So why would we turn away from Christ and look for someone else? Right, And this is what they're being tempted to do, to turn away from Christ and to go back to the priest of Aaron, to go back to those priests who can never take away sin. Why would we ever do this? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Hebrews 7, 23. We've got a lot more to say about the high priest, and we'll get to that in due time, because Hebrews is dealing with these things nearly on every page. It's talking about all of these roles fulfilled by Christ. But here, Hebrews 7, 23. The former priest, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. This is the high priest that we need. A merciful, faithful high priest who continues forever. He never relinquishes his role, his position. The other priests, even the good ones, like Aaron, like Eleazar, like Phineas, they were prevented by death from continuing in their ministry, in their role. And then sometimes they had worthless high priests like Ananias and uh, or like Annas and Caiaphas, who themselves were unbelievers and were wicked men, but not Jesus Christ. He is merciful and faithful in the things pertaining to God. He is qualified to minister before God on our behalf, not in the tabernacle or the temple that existed on the earth, but in heaven itself before the very throne of God. And what is this ministry that Christ performs for us? As our high priest. Notice again what he says in verse 17. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ has gone to heaven to serve as a high priest on our behalf. So that the wrath of God that existed against us. Due to our many sins against God. It could be satisfied on our behalf. God's wrath is against us because of our sin. God's just wrath must be satisfied. A payment must be made for our sins. We, the sinner, we deserve to die because of one sin. But how many sins do we have? If God 
would regard it, who could stand before him? Our sins reach all the way up to the very heavens is how high they are. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul who sins will die. Genesis 2.17, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God, the righteous judge, he wants to punish our sins. His justice demands payment for sin. His wrath is rightly kindled against sinners. And Jesus Christ is the one who takes that punishment for us. He is the only one who can satisfy the wrath of God that was against us. And this he has done by drinking from the cup of God's wrath. And he drank it until it was completely satisfied, until the wrath of God against us was quenched. And he did this by offering up his life as a sacrifice for us. And in doing so, he makes propitiation for the sins of the people. He is the sacrifice of atonement that satisfies the just demands of God, the righteous wrath of God that was against us because of our sins. And this makes him much better as a high priest than Aaron or any of his sons. They only offered animals on behalf of the people. But what does Jesus offer for us? He offers his own sin, his own, his own self. His own blood is given on our behalf to satisfy God's wrath that was against us. So in this way, Jesus fulfills both of these types. He is both the high priest who offers the sacrifice, and he is also the sacrifice that is offered up to satisfy the wrath of God that was against us. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's how he makes propitiation for the sins of the people. He was sacrificed once for all. The just, Christ, for the unjust, which is all of us. And this is what brings us to God. Because this separation that was brought about because of our sin this separation has been taken away. And now the way of access is opened back up again. The tree of life is now available to us through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, uh, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There, the high priest is better, the tabernacle is better, and the sacrifice is better. And all of these are found in Christ. So why would we abandon Christ for anything else? Why would we abandon Christ to go offer sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem if it still existed? 
It makes no sense for a person to do that because those things cannot satisfy. They cannot cleanse the people. They cannot purify our conscience of our dead works. Only Jesus Christ can do this. And he did it by sacrificing himself. Through his own blood, he puts all of our sins away so that the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us has been nailed to his cross with the result that through his sacrifice for sins, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The demands of God's justice, the wrath of God that burned against us has been satisfied. And God is now no longer our enemy. He's not our foe anymore, but now he is our heavenly father. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? And what is our confidence in this? What is the assurance that we have? Well, it is Jesus Christ. It is the body of Jesus Christ. It is that he took on a human nature like ours and that he now sits at God's right hand as our mediator, as the Christ, who still is fully man, perfected man, there at the right hand of God the Father. He stands there for our sake, on our behalf, for our benefit. We need confidence, we need assurance that God will be merciful to us, that God will be faithful to us. And the person and work of Jesus Christ assures us that God's wrath has been satisfied, that God loves us, that he is for us, and that he is no longer against us. That's why we need to see Christ there at the right hand of God the Father. Then verse 18. 218 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted. In Luke 17, 1, it says, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come. In Job 14, 1, it says, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. This is the way it is in this life. Short-lived, full of turmoil, born for trouble, Stumbling blocks are sure to come. We all stumble in many ways. We all face much turmoil, many hardships in this life. We all will have our share of stumbling blocks. And it is common for us to think that no one else in the world has ever experienced what we're going through. When we're going through difficulties, when we're going through hardships, when we're suffering in this way, we think my sufferings are greater than anyone else has ever experienced. No one understands. No one knows my situation. It is unique to me. No one else can understand it. And no one can sympathize with me. And we can even be tempted to think, God doesn't understand. God doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't understand my experiences and my hardships. So why should I endure? Right? Why not just forsake the Lord and go live like the rest of the world? But here in this verse, we are assured that there is one. There is at least one, although there are often many others as well. But for certain, we know that there is one who understands all of our struggles and all of our temptations and all of the hardships that we endure. We think that we are alone, but we are assured that there is one who knows what it is to be a man more than anyone else. 
Jesus understood more than anyone that man is born for trouble. He was tempted in all things just as we are, yet he endured his temptations without ever sinning against God. And now he is able to help us. He sympathizes with us. He understands. He knows what we're going through. He is a source of wisdom and understanding, a source of strength, of grace, and mercy to help us in our time of need. He can come to the aid of those who are being tempted because he was tempted just as we are, yet he never succumbed to the temptation. He knows exactly how to help us and what we need to overcome in our time of need. The humanity of Jesus Christ gives us hope and confidence that God will help us in our time of need. Just as he helped Jesus, so he also will help us. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. How does the apostle know this? How does he have such confidence that God will safely bring him into the heavenly kingdom, that God will deliver him from every evil thing? Where did he learn this? Who taught him these things? It's because he has a great high priest. It's because of the life of Christ. The life of Jesus assures him that God will deliver him from all evil and safely bring him to the heavenly kingdom. Because who has God already done this for? He did it for Jesus Christ. Didn't God the Father deliver him from every evil? Didn't God the Father safely bring him through every ordeal, through every trial? And has he not been safely brought into the heavenly kingdom? God did this for Christ. He did it for Jesus. Jesus trusted in God. He trusted in his Father. He committed his life into the hands of him who judges justly. And was he disappointed? Absolutely not. God delivered him. And who else will God do this for? He'll do it for all of his children. He will do it for you and me as well. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears, to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. God heard Jesus. God delivered him from all of his enemies. God rescued him from the mouth of the lion. And we're all now facing the same thing that he faced. We are having our shares of trials and temptations as sufferings. And just as God delivered Jesus... He will do the same thing for us. He is the author and perfecter of our salvation, and he will do for us what he has done for Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in the time of need. Are we not needy people? We are very needy people. This is what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. We have many needs, and we need to daily go to God and bring our needs to Him. And who is the one who can help us? It is Jesus Christ our Lord. We have our needs, so we need to go to God and cry out to Him for Him to help us. And we have a mediator, a great high priest that is there to help us during our time of need. So let us then not put our hope in this world. Don't put our hope in men. Don't put our hope in the deceitfulness of riches. Don't put our hope in sin, but rather put our hope in Christ. Look to him as the author and perfecter of our salvation and know that if we have put our hope in Christ and if we are depending upon God, our Father, just as Christ did, whatever happened to him, the same will happen to us. Just as God delivered him, just as he delivered him from every evil thing and brought Jesus safely into the heavenly kingdom, so he will do for all of his children. He will bring many sons to glory, and our confidence and our hope is there at the right hand of God the Father, where we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, both as fully God and still fully man, perfected man, right, with a perfected human body, and there he sits for us, interceding for us, as our mediator between God and man. So let us fix our eyes upon him, put our hope in Christ, and know that we who hope in Christ will never be disappointed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, thanking you, Lord, for your mercy and grace that has been bestowed upon us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that we are, Lord, we are sinners, Lord, that we deserve your wrath. Lord, we do not deserve anything from you, Lord, except to be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And yet, Lord, because you are full of love and kindness and mercy, Lord, you have chosen to redeem us, Lord, to save us from our sins. And Lord, why would you do this for us, Lord, when you have not offered the same salvation to the angels? And Lord, we see that you have not even done this for all men, but only for some. So Lord, why would you do this for us when you have not done it for others? And Lord, it can only be because of your love. Only because you have chosen, Lord, of your own will to show your compassion to us. Lord, to give to us your kindness and your grace and your favor. And so Father, we thank you for this. We know that it is not because we are better than other men. Lord, we know and we confess that we are sinners. Lord, that we are no better than anyone else. And that the only reason now, Lord, that we have been changed, and the only reason that we have this hope of eternity and of eternal life is because of the grace that you've given to us. Everything that we have, Lord, we have received from you. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we know that it has come down to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, he has purchased it for us. He has done everything on our behalf, having taken on our human flesh. Lord, being born under the law. Lord, living a perfect, sinless life. Offering his own life on the cross for our sins. Being raised for our justification and now ascended to your right hand where he there is. 
interceding on our behalf. Lord, able to come and to help us in our time of need. Lord, we pray that you would give to us this confidence, Lord. And Lord, that you would forgive us of our, Lord, of our weaknesses, Lord, of our sluggishness. Lord, how it is so often that we, Lord, we fail to go to Christ. Lord, we depend upon our own strength or we wallow in our misery instead of going to the author and perfecter of our salvation. So, Lord, we pray that we would, Lord, have even greater boldness, Lord, that we would have greater zeal to run to Christ daily, Lord, many times a day, Lord, seeing that we are such needful people, so weak, Lord, so beset with many sins, ignorant and misguided in so many ways. And yet, Lord, we have a high priest who is not ignorant, but who is filled with wisdom. Lord, who is not misguided, but who always does your will. And Lord, who himself can lead us and be a benefit and blessing to us in our time of need. So Lord, we pray that you would give to us more and more of your grace and mercy, that you would shower it down upon us even today. Lord, give to us great confidence, great hope in our salvation. And Lord, help us to remember, Lord, that whatever it is that we experience, Lord, Jesus can sympathize with us. Lord, seeing that he has been tempted in every way that we are except without sin, he knows how to help us in our time of need. And we pray that, Lord, he would come to us quickly. Lord, that he would come to us often and that you would give to us more and more grace through his person and through his work. Lord, we pray that you deliver us from every evil thing and that you would safely bring us into your heavenly kingdom. And Lord, that you would give us confidence in this and help us, Lord, even now, while we are waiting for the consummation of our salvation, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live godly lives, to turn away from evil, to do good, Lord, to forsake sin and to love righteousness. Lord, to live the life of Christ even now, to walk in the same way that he walked. So, Father, we ask again, Lord, that all of these things you would bring about for us. And we thank you, Lord, for your salvation that you have given to us through Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.